Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, here we are tonight, and we're ready. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, we're going to cover verses 1 through 8. If, you're, if you don't know this, the little half sheets of paper in there, I started doing fill-ins. If you want that, they're in the entry over there if you want those things too. If you're not grabbing them, I started doing it for the sake of staying on task, and it helps me stay on task also. But um, this is the great born-again chapter, the chapter where Jesus and uh, Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something, keeping always your finger here in John. In a second, we'll turn, uh, and you'll see in your notes there. But in your notes, um, we're going to turn to Malachi 3 in a second. But hold that thought. Remember, Jesus has just overturned the tables of the money changers. Has he not? He has just ripped that place apart. And so, it's one of those things, again, where you see um, where the corruption of the religious leaders where Judaism is failing the people completely. And so you have to believe and know that, well, we know that the Temple Mount was run by all the priests and Levites and everybody else. Annas was the crime boss. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, is the guy who is the chief priest at that time. Question, if Nicodemus is such a high-ranking religious leader and uh, teacher, do you think Nicodemus was on that Temple Mount when Jesus overturned all the money changers? And the answer is what? Yes, there's probably no doubt about it. He's got to have been there. He's watched the whole thing happen. And so I think in my mind this, because Nicodemus knows his Old Testament. He's a guy that studies it. This is who he is. We're going to find out how intense he is of, of a student he is. But go back to Malachi uh, chapter 3 in your Old Testament. It's your last book of your Old Testament in Malachi 3. We read this last week. Nicodemus knows these verses. Nicodemus has watched Jesus overturn the tables of the money changers. Now watch these, these, these prophetic verses, 1 through 4 of chapter 3. Uh, one, 1 through 3, I should say, of chapter 3. It says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Who is that messenger? John the Baptist, that's right. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the days of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller soap. And he will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. Now notice that what it says. Nicodemus knows these verses. There will come the forerunner. He'll prepare the way. Then suddenly, it says, suddenly the Lord will come into his temple. So is it just possible that as Nicodemus is standing on that temple mount and Jesus is overturning all the tables of the money changers, Nicodemus, who is a main teacher, his mind thinks back, it clicks back to these verses right there. And maybe it's possible in his mind that he's thinking, you know what? Maybe this is the Messiah, because we're going to find out when Nicodemus starts his dialogue with Jesus, one of the things he tells Jesus, we know you've come from God as a teacher, but no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. So maybe Nicodemus, his brain is just spinning, and maybe he's thinking, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we've been waiting for all these years? I think it's possible, right? 
I think it's Paul. So here we go. John chapter 3, first thing in your notes. Number one, Pharisee means separated one. In your notes, Pharisee means separated one. Now I'm going to read verse 1 of John 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now let me quickly give you some thought on this, on this whole idea of uh, this Pharisee, separated one. The Pharisees. These guys... Um, they trace their roots back to Daniel chapter 1. This is how they, the Pharisees themselves, trace themselves to Daniel 1. They trace themselves to when Daniel, remember in Daniel 1 when Daniel's deported to Babylon, when Jerusalem's conquered by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar sieges it, etc. And they bring him there, and he's one of the best and the brightest. He's a young kid, young teenager, but he's very smart. And they recognize that in him and some other young guys, and they want to give him, remember, the food and the wine, the drink of King Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody remember that story right there? But what does Daniel do? He says what? No, I can't do that because I'm not going to defile myself. And don't you love it that somebody, that his parents taught that young boy the right way, amen? So when he's in a faraway land, when he could go and sin it up like many young people do when they go away to school, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do the right thing. But he decides, no, I'm going to stay pure. Now, the Pharisees, they trace themselves back to that moment in time, that they are the ones who kept the law in a foreign land. We're going to live for God. We're going to do the right thing. That's how they start. That's what they say. Now, problem. 600 years have gone by since that moment to this moment now that we're reading about. And in 600 years, they have now begun to interpret. They interpret the laws of God. They begin to now make all these rules and regulations and traditions on the law of God that now they are placing on the people. And Jesus comes and rips a lot of those things out, does he not? Now to give you just one of these illustrations, turn in your Bibles a little bit to your left to Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 very quickly. But I want to show you one of these um, uh, interactions between Jesus and these Pharisees because of these traditions that have been built up over 600 years. Pharisees started right, but now they have all these traditions that are killing the people. Watch this. Verse 1 through 8, chapter 7, Mark. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating uh, eating their bread with impure hands that, that is unwashed. Now they're checking out the disciples. They're going, hey, they're not washing their hands. Now, it's not that they're just not washing their hands. They're not washing their hands according to the way that the Pharisees say you should wash your hands. And I think it's an eggshell and a half of water poured over the hand. You hold it like this. It drains down to the elbows or runs down. And when it gets to the elbows, you push back down like this, and it comes back down. That was their prescribed traditional way of washing hands before a meal. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine doing that before every meal? Can you imagine doing that before, in between every serving? That would be insane. So that's what, what's going on here. For the Pharisees, verse 3, and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions, say traditions, traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things... <laughs> Can you imagine how many other things which they had received in order to observe, such as the washing of the cups and pitchers and cover pots? Not only you got to wash your hands a certain way, you got to wash all the utensils a certain way. Can you imagine that? God, I'll be there in 35 hours once I finish washing the utensils correctly, okay? 
And then verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, here's their question to Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Watch what Jesus says. How many know Jesus doesn't really care, okay? He's going to make sure he's for the people. Now watch. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Can you imagine when he tells the religious leaders, you hypocrites? Can you imagine? I can only imagine what all the listeners are going, give it to him, Jesus, give it. Because, you know, nobody stood up for them, you know. You hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips. In other words, they look good, but their heart is far from me, but not good. Look good, but not good. But in vain do they worship me, teaching, watch, 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 teaching as doctrines, the precepts of men, and then he qualifies, says, neglecting the commandment of God, which is the word of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And that's the problem. That's the big problem of the Pharisees. They have neglected the word of God, and now they're teaching their own traditions and their own applications from this word of God. And Jesus has a big beef with these guys. Pharisees started off right, 600 years go by, they're not walking right anymore. Now, back to John chapter 3. Now, he's a Pharisee, but it also says in verse 1 that he's a ruler of the Jews. Now, what does that even mean? Well, he's part of what's called the Sanhedrin. That's a 71-member supreme Jewish court. You have the chief priest, you have a co-kind of guy with him, and 69 members, and they make up this supreme court. So he's part of that. He's up in the high echelon. He's up there, guys, in the religious leadership. And then look at verse 10 for me, would you? In chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, he's talking to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel? Did he say, are you a teacher or are you the teacher? Are you the teacher? Oh, now we find out that's a little bit further. The, it's all written in what's called the definite article. This guy's high up. He's a leader among leaders. He just might be the number one teacher in all of Israel. So you think about who he is. He's a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's up there. And he might be the foremost teacher in all the land. And he's coming to Jesus. Now, point two in your notes is Nicodemus came by night. A picture of the condition of Israel. A picture of the condition of Israel. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. Side note. We? We know. Is he representing the whole group? Or is he just making it sound like, yeah, we're all kind of in this together. That's why I'm here. I don't know. I'm going to ask him when I get there. We know that you have come from God as a as a teacher. Now, he's not in any way, shape, or form saying that Jesus is Lord, God in the flesh. We know you've come from God as a teacher. That's where he's at right now. Okay, so he's not got past that point. For no one can do the, the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, <clears throat> he comes at night. Now, literally and absolutely, it's nighttime. He comes at night. But is it possible? Is it possible that as John is writing this gospel, that John is not just talking about nighttime, 
only. And it is nighttime. Is it possible that this is also a type and a picture, as John puts everything together, of the condition of Israel? Is it possible? John 1, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. John 1, John the Baptist says, one stands among you whom you do not even know. John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, the six pots for purification, religious purification, they're empty. Picture of Israel, it's empty. It's unfulfilling. Jesus has to fill it with water, and then he turns it to wine, brings joy. Jesus has to come and do something about that. He overturns the tables of the money changers, John chapter 2, and he says, um, and he says, destroy this temple, three days I'll raise it up. But that's because the temple was now unfulfilling. Judaism again and again and again at this moment in time is very unfulfilling. It's not meeting the needs. So now, is it possible? And I can't prove it, but it's almost like John is saying he came at night because of such darkness over the land of Israel. It's in such need of a savior because of the darkness upon them. You know what's interesting about Nicodemus? If you follow him in the Gospel of John, here he comes at night. Let's go back to just nighttime. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen. Maybe he doesn't want anybody to know that he's coming to talk to Jesus, okay? But as you go in through John, you continue moving forward. In John 7, verse 50, 51, he is standing up to his own Sanhedrin leadership about Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Now he's standing up. And then you move to the cross or after the crucifixion, John 19. He's one of the guys with Joseph and they take Jesus' body and they put in the tomb and they do all the right wrappings and they put all the spices on him. So now you're watching the progression of Nicodemus where first, here's a guy who is like, I'm not sure you're a teacher. Then he moves to, hey guys, he's standing up to his own people. You know, that's, guys, isn't that one of the hardest things to do when your mind is thought one way for decades of your life? And then all of a sudden your mind switches and you realize, I've been believing a lie for decades. I've been looking at life the wrong, life the wrong way for decades. And then it spins and it flips. That's one of the toughest moves in life, is it not? But only the power of the Spirit of God can do that, can it? So his mind flips and he sees it. And then finally, you know he's a believer. Why else would he take Jesus down? Why else? He takes Jesus down at the cross. And we're going to find out next week why I believe that's very strong, what, what realization he came to in his life. Now, <clears throat> let's see. Let me find out where I'm at now because I'm, I'm off the map now. Okay, no. So he says um, he's come to Jesus because, Jesus, you can do signs. Question, what is the theme of this gospel? What was the point? What was the reason John writes this gospel? Anybody remember week one? It was written... It's the book of the seven signs. He's going to give the seven signs of Jesus, last one being, I'm the resurrection and life. The book of the seven signs. And they are to prove in John chapter 20 that people might believe in him, that he is the Messiah. And here comes Nicodemus, you do signs. And we want to come and check this out. So now you see the application of this gospel in true form right here because Nicodemus is coming because he sees signs. Now let me give a balance statement. Just because someone does miracles, does that mean they are from God? No, that's yeah, no way. Uh-uh. No, uh no. That's why, in, in your notes, we won't turn there, the first one. But in 1 John 4, 1, John says, remember, to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Always test them. Always, because remember, remember, did Pharaoh's magicians perform miracles? Before? 
Yes. Will Antichrist and the false prophet in the Great Tribulation perform miracles? Yes. You better believe they are. You better believe they are. So how do we know? How do we test it? Somebody's doing miracles. How do I know? Keep your finger. Turn to Isaiah in your Old Testament chapter 8. I'll give you one little formula here. Isaiah chapter 8. It's a really cool verse. It's loaded in impact, but it's a cool verse. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. I still hear some pages rustling, which I thoroughly enjoy. John, I'm sorry, Isaiah 8.20 says this. It says, well, now that you're there, we're there. Okay. <laughs> you don't know how good it feels to speak to a live audience. I spoke to a camera for two and a half years. It's so much better this way. Oh, my God. It says, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. What comes up at dawn? Sun. If, dude, if they do not speak according to this word of God, they have no light. How do you tell if someone is of God, especially if they're performing miracles? Are they speaking according to what? The word of God. Another reason why you and I had better know what the word of God says, Correct. Very, very important. We study this Word of God. Okay, let's move on. Number three in your notes, going back to John. Religion doesn't save us. Religion will never save us. Religion sends more people to hell than anything else. Any amens on that? Now watch what Jesus tells Nicodemus. This is incredible. In verse three, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> does Nicodemus come with questions? Does Nicodemus ever ask a specific question? No. Who is the first one to introduce the lecture? Jesus. Didn't Nicodemus say to him, we know you've come as a teacher, right? Since, you go, Since I'm the teacher, the teacher dictates the lesson, does he not? And so now Nicodemus, now is, who is the teacher of Israel, is now the student. Isn't that wild? That, that's, that's wild to me. Now, <clears throat> let me give you a side thought. We will never know, ooh, we will never know, I was going to drop that down, we'll never know what Nicodemus was going to ask Jesus, will we? So I think when we get to heaven, we should all gather together and say, Nick, <laughs> what were you going to ask him? Because we'll never know, okay? And we would like to know. Inquiry minds want to know. Now, once again, he says, you're the teacher of Israel. <clears throat> you're the highest teacher. Guys, listen, think. You're the top dog. You're the man, spiritually. And then Jesus told him, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. What did Jesus just tell him? Nicodemus? All your religion? All your studying? All the traditions you keep? It's not getting you to heaven at all. You're not going to make it. Let's flip the statement. Nicodemus... Unless you're born again, you're going to hell. He just told him that. And this is the main leader 
teacher in Israel. Is that incredible? Jesus pulls no punch. Can you, if you're Nicodemus, what, what are you thinking? Mind blown, right? What? Now let's break down the statement. Jesus says in that verse 3, he says, truly, truly. Truly, truly means of a truth, of a truth. Every time Jesus says truly, truly, no, he's about to make a massive statement. It's of high importance. Every time he says it. When he says truly, truly, unless one is born again, the word again means from above. This is one of the literal meanings. Unless you're born from above. In other words, not of earth, not of this realm, but from above, from this other place, from heaven. And then he says, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. The word see means to become acquainted with, to know it, to experience it. And you're never going to know it, Nicodemus. Jesus, is he's loading up on this guy. So the point is this, Nicodemus, there's an eternity. If you want to get to it, the right place, you must be born of that realm, not of this realm right here. Did John ever mention born again before? And the answer is yes. Look at chapter 1 and look at verses 12 and 13 very quickly. Look at this. Watch what he says here. <clears throat> but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Ah, so John, like a good teacher, is setting foundation earlier for later on when this is introduced that Jesus says, you must be born again. That's what good teachers do. You set foundations earlier because you're going to insert this again there. Now, <clears throat> in other words, he's saying this. Oh, look, to, be, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born of that place. Question, do you think Nicodemus is confused at this point? I would be. <laughs> Look, um, I, I would be thoroughly confused if I were me. Because Nicodemus is religious. And, and Jesus is not talking about this earthly realm. He's talking about heaven. Okay, no offense to anybody. I made my first Holy Communion when I was a kid. I went to church on Easter. Right? I was stressing when I made my communion... Because they are going to tell you, say, our fathers are holy. Or, um, Hail Marys. Yes, it's been a long time um, <laughs> since I rock and roll. No, I'm just joking. Uh, see you 60s people. You know that song. Huh? Um, but, um, and I remember I never memorized the, the Hail Marys. So I was stressed. Can you imagine being stressed in the confessional? And thank God he gave me 10 our fathers to say in penance. Whew, man. I was nine under a lot of pressure, okay? Now, <clears throat> So I was, I guess, religious, and people would start to share with me because my family gets saved, and they'd share with me. I got from age 18 to 20, they're sharing with me, sharing with me, sharing with me, and you know what? It made no sense to me at all. You know why? Because the natural man does not understand. Look in your notes. It's in your notes here. Paul writes, the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, for they are foreign to him. See that in your notes? Read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, for they are, they're foreign to him. I was a natural man. Before I'm a Christian, it doesn't make sense to me, right? How many of you noticed, did you, how many, like me, I was given that Bible, you've heard my stories, I was given this Bible, those, those green ones, those living Bible paraphrase, and my sister said, read Revelation, and dumb me, I did, okay? 
That didn't mean nothing to me. But did you notice after you became a Christian, how much the Word of God exploded in front of you? Because now you have the Spirit of God in you. And once the Spirit's in you, you're not a natural man anymore. You can understand the Spirit because these things are spiritually appraised. You get that? So natural people don't understand that. I remember um, I was 20 years old, and uh, we go down, me and my buddies. I think I was, maybe I was 21. I don't know. Maybe I was 19. But uh, my family's already all over me to become a Christian. And it was Easter Sunday. I remember it was Easter Sunday. And you think I'm going to church? Are you kidding me? I went down to Newport Beach to play basketball. Me and my buddies. There used to be a basketball court right next to the pier. There used to be one there. We go down and play basketball. We're standing on the court. And this old guy walks on the court with a Bible. He's probably my age now. You know? <laughs> I knew somebody get a kick out of that one right there. And I'm like, and every time I go somewhere, and, and this is honest truth, every time I go somewhere, somebody, some Christian's got to come and witness to me. Everywhere I went, it was like, can they please leave me alone? So I'm on the court, and this man, we're playing basketball. And this guy who's like my age, he walks on the court with his Bible. He stops our game. I'm thinking, old man, what are you doing? And he starts sharing Jesus with us on Easter Sunday morning. And I remember my buddies are standing like this and, 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 and listening to him. And I remember I was so fed up with this kind of stuff because of my family sharing with me. I just started backing up, backing up. I just backed up. And I started laughing to myself like, you fools for staying there. I remember that. And now I'm a preacher. No, I just <laughs> But... It didn't make sense to me because I was a natural-minded person. You could sit here tonight and you say, I'm not going to be born again. I'm not going to be like, well, this doesn't make sense to you then. It never will because you're not born again. But once you're born again, it pops, right? It just pops in your spirit. Now, number four in your notes. I think Nicodemus is a sincere seeker. I think he's a sincere seeker. Now, look at verse four. Nicodemus said to him, Here's his question. Now Nicodemus has a question after he hears a statement. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Isn't that a great question? Yeah. What does that mean? It means like me, I don't get it. He just, he just doesn't get it. Jesus is talking spiritual. Nicodemus is thinking it's what? It's physical. He's a natural man. So Nick asks, how is it possible And then Jesus says this, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, of a truth, of a truth, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nick, I'm not talking about physical birth here. I know you're thinking about going back in your mom's womb, impossible. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth, water and spirit. Okay, I'm going to try my best not to confuse you, but I'm sure I will. Because this whole water and spirit thing, I'm just warning you right now, okay? The first couple of verses I'm going to take in, you won't be confused. But after that, I'm going to try my best to do that because you'll see. Jesus, when he says born of water and spirit, water, he's not talking about water baptism. Water does not wash away any sin at all. Only the blood of Jesus does, right? And that's it. So water washes away nothing. So water baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith transition. You believe in Jesus, 
And so now you get water baptized because you believe, and it's an outward sign to all the watchers and people in attendance that you're a believer in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, if, here's my thoughts. Nicodemus hears Jesus say, born of water and spirit. If I'm Nicodemus and I'm the teacher of Israel and I know my Old Testament, now I think his mind might, I'm going to say might, have flashed back to this. Go back to Ezekiel, Old Testament, Ezekiel 36. Go back to Ezekiel, the prophet. Now watch what Ezekiel said a long time ago. About 600 years before this, Ezekiel's a contemporary Jeremiah. Watch this in Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 to 27. Watch. If I'm Nicodemus, my mind is it's flashing back. Water and spirit. Watch verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit. There's water and spirit there. Notice that? Within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. How many of you became really nice after you got saved? <laughs> Aaron, oh, you did, Aaron? Okay, praise the Lord. Okay. Verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Is it, in my mind I'm thinking, if I'm Nicodemus, water and spirit, I'm thinking Ezekiel talked about water and spirit, but I'm still not connecting the dots, okay? But he did talk about these things. So, water and spirit. Born of water and spirit. Can we find this whole idea of water and spirit in the New Testament? Can we find these things? Because the best way to interpret born of water and spirit is to let the Bible interpret the, the Bible. That's one of your rules of interpretation. Not I feel, not I think. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Now, let's go to Titus in the New Testament. We're going to travel now. It's in your notes there. But we're going to travel. Titus 3.5. Watch this. And this is the part where I, I hope I don't confuse you because I get confused sometimes myself. And I've been reading this stuff for years and years but I'm going to try to connect the best I can. Water and spirit, water and spirit. Are they two different things or are they just connected, meaning the one and the same thing? Let's see. Verse 5 of Titus 3. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Is that water and spirit? That's right, huh? There's water and spirit there. So He saved us first off in there, not on the basis of our deeds. In other words, Nothing we can do to save ourselves, correct? So it's not physical. I can't save myself. Okay. Then it said he saved us by washing, meaning water of regeneration. You have a new DNA inside of you the moment you put your faith in Christ, correct? There's a regeneration. You've been like, somebody said like, I love it, regenerated. You have new genes. You have new DNA inside of you now. And that's from God. And then it says, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. If any man or woman be in Christ, he's a new creature, right? There's a renewing of your life. So now you're watching these terms here. Washing water, new DNA, spirit of God. See, water, spirit, water, spirit. Now, let's take it a step further now. Go to 1 John chapter 3. To the right. This is the same John who's writing the gospel, who wrote the gospel that we're reading. Now watch it. Now I'm going to try to connect some dots here. This is going to be a... Hopefully not confusing. Look at verse, uh, verse 9. 
John, 1 John 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin. Notice it doesn't say you never sin. It says you don't practice it. Because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is what? Born of God. Now notice, when you're born of God, what is in you? What did it say? The seed. Okay. We're born of God. There's a seed in me. Okay. What, what seed are we born of? Turn to your left a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 1. So what's the seed that we're born of? Look at 1 verse 23. Look what Peter writes. One of the 12. He says, For you have been born again, not of seed. Here it is again. There's seed. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. So now what is the seed that we're born of? He defined it. What is it? The word of God. And by the way, the word seed there, Greek word spermata, I think you know what that is, right? So that creates the life. That brings the life. That gives you your DNA. That gives you characteristics. So we have the DNA of God. So now we see here the seed that we're born of is the word of God. That's that seed there. Now, turn to Ephesians. Go to your left a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 5. Don't you love how the Bible connects stuff? Because I really do. Now look at Ephesians 5. Look at 26. says this. This is talking about husbands and wives and how they should interact. But notice this little statement here. So that he, the husband, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the... Where, oh, now we find that the seed is the word of God, and that word of God also washes... Oh, so there's water, washes... Okay, now we're putting this whole thing together. Now, one more verse to confuse you thoroughly. Go to John chapter 6, back in the Gospel of John. Or hopefully just to make you go home and read these and think about it. Jesus said this in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit, mm, Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. There it is again, right? The words. Jesus is the Word and He speaks the Word of God. Does He not? The words that I have spoken to you are what? Are what? They're spirit and they are life. Oh, now you tie it all together and now you find that the word born again is inserted in there and it washes and I'm born of the word. It is the seed and it's the spirit. So in my mind, when he says born of water and spirit, water and spirit connect to each other. Does that make sense? Just say yes for my sake, okay? Because I went to a lot of trouble to get there, all right? So you read those, and you start to connect them together, born of water and spirit. And it's the emphasis is spirit, not the flesh, okay? Nick is thoroughly confused by now, amen? Because I would be. Okay, so that's point five now. Point five is like produces like. Now watch what Jesus says. He's got Nicodemus against the ropes, backpedaling, verse six. That which is born, John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Oh, oh, okay. Like produces like is what he's saying, right? Right? Okay. Flesh produces flesh. Spirit produces spirit. If you want to go back to your mother's room, that's still flesh. You must be born again of the spirit of God. It's a spiritual rebirth, Right? Washing of regeneration, renewing of the spirit. See the depth? See what he's telling him? Do you see what he's telling him? Okay, good. Now, 
The point is simple. Like produces like. He's saying, Nicodemus, you know this. Go back. You want a question? Like produces like. Yeah, like produces like, yeah. Like produces like. I'm sorry about that. And it's funny because I used to sit in Paulette's Bible study. She used to teach me when I was a youngster. Remember that? <laughs> but here's the important truth. Nicodemus, go back to your Genesis teaching. Go back to what you've learned. Everything produces after its own kind. Remember that? Everything produces after its own kind. Nicodemus, you know this from Genesis. Guys, if you're born of the Spirit, it's Spirit. You can't go back to your mother's room. That's just flesh again. Everything's born after its own kind. You know this. Now, that's just not just a spiritual rebirth uh, truth. That's a creation versus evolution truth. Is it not? Is it not? Evolution says, well, DNA can produce a whole other kind. No, DNA is DNA, isn't it? DNA is information. DNA is DNA. It cannot produce new information at all. It never will. It cannot. Now, <clears throat> for instance, they, reptiles, they say reptiles evolved into birds. Scientists have checked reptile DNA. There's nothing in them that says in that DNA that it can produce a feather. Nothing about it. Nothing. Because like produces like. Like cannot produce another like. Right? You hear me? We say this a lot. That you could have millions and billions and trillions of years, and like will only produce like, and it will never produce something new because DNA has certain information, and that's it. DNA cannot reproduce something different. It's just an impossibility. It's an impossibility. But evolutionists say, oh no, that's why they need millions and billions of years because they'll tell us, give it enough time. And it will create something new. Question. If things have been evolving, everything, our life, animal life, everything over millions and millions and millions, how many millions of transitional, meaning from this to this and this to this and this, how many millions of transitional bones and skeleton structures would we find in this earth? They'd be everywhere. You'd be digging them up in your backyard. How many have they found? Nothing. We we'll say, Jim, look, they've already disproved all the things. They found none. And every time they find a bone, oh, a chimpanzee bone, oh, we found our ancestor. No, you found your ancestor. <laughs> you didn't find my ancestor. There is no evidence whatsoever that like can produce something else. There's no evidence... At all. And there's great studies on that that you can do to, to study on these things. It's a great thing. But their worldview says they got to believe millions and millions of years to, for this to happen because that's just their worldview. Now, look at verse 7. Jesus says, he goes on. Now, look at what he says to Nicodemus. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Why do you think Jesus said that to Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus' face is probably like this. <laughs> and he's a teacher of Israel. And he's thoroughly confused. He says, okay, Nicodemus, okay, let me say this now. Um, you're amazed, right? <laughs> Don't be amazed that I said that, okay. Now, number six in your notes. 
And that's this. I don't have to understand everything about new birth before I experience it. Aren't you still experiencing it? I am. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nick, you don't understand everything about wind, but you see the effects of it. He's given them an earthly illustration to get them to understand. Let's apply this to our lives. Let's, let's apply it. This is where I'm going to drive it home, okay? Wind is interesting, isn't it? In the dry season, I hate the wind. It makes my skin crawl. Anybody dry out like me? It's just awful. It's terrible. I, I just want to lay in a bath of lotion. <laughs> it, it, no, it, really, it just drives me. It's, oh, oh, gosh. It just dry, oh, oh. <laughs> wind is powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Wind is irregular, isn't it? When it can be a tornado, right? Or it can be a soft, cool breeze, can it? When a person, Nicodemus, when a person surrenders their life to Jesus and the Spirit of God comes and lives in that person, they're born again, and your life now becomes like that wind. Anybody notice that? Your life becomes like that wind. Ah. I wrote this statement. I'm going to read it to you. It's next to this verse. I found the statement, I don't know how many years ago, but I wrote it in my Bible. And he goes, here's what it is. See if it makes sense. A major cause of stress in our lives is uncertainty. Having to deal with the unknown of tomorrow. Anybody know what I mean? That's a major cause of stress. Then I finish the statement with, Jesus is the master of the unknown. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of God came living. It's like wind. Sometimes it's going to blow hard, sometimes soft, sometimes this way, sometimes that way. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I, I'd like to think I'm going to try to make something happen. I don't know how this thing's going to end up. I don't know how that, but you know what? Can I do a goofy Jim Del Campo movie illustration? Because I know some of you like it. Some of you are going, not another one, please. Okay, this is a, this is way I operate best like this. Okay. Remember the movie Twister? Yes. Okay. Do you remember the cow? Yes. <laughs> remember the Twister? And the cow's flow. <laughs> He's in the Twister. Remember that? Remember that? He's just in the Twister. Did you ever look at the cow's face? He's not stressed. He thinks he's in Disneyland floating around. And I'm thinking, you know, that's what I want to be like. I want to be in the wind of the Spirit. And it can take me this way or that way or leave me that way. And yet I, I, don't, I want to be like the cow. I'm not stressed. It's like Disneyland. I'm just trusting the wind of the Spirit of God in my life. And therefore, I don't have to worry about tomorrow and how it's going to end and what's going to happen. I just know I'm in the wind of the Spirit and I can trust Him in my life. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that we have these 
events in scripture that we can draw from and learn from, Lord. We're so grateful to you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this Nicodemus interaction with you, Jesus, to help us, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.